We all know about the devastating events playing out in Ukraine right now. And the question arises, what should we do as Christians? Well, as Christians, we can go to the root of the conflict. And the root is the heart. Jesus says, a good person, out of the store of goodness in his heart, produces good. But an evil person, out of the store of evil, produces evil. Well, our work for peace begins with the human heart. St. James makes the same point even more explicitly in his letter. He says, where do wars and where do conflicts among you come from? Is it not from your passions that make war within your members? That is to say, it starts within you. And then he gives some examples. You covet, but you do not possess. You kill and envy, but you cannot attain. You fight and wage war. You covet, you want what's not yours, and so you go to take it from someone else. This is a straightforward view of the cause of war. It's a consequence of personal evil. Now, we can speak about economic pressures and geopolitical tensions. And those are real factors to be considered. But at the root, war comes from greed, arrogance, prejudice, and hatred. States don't make decisions. Humans make decisions. So what can we do? We can begin with our own hearts. We can go before the Lord and ask Him to purify our hearts of greed and arrogance. Each one of us, let's go before Him and, and let's seriously and earnestly search our own hearts. You know, whatever malicious motives we might impute to any world leader, if we're honest with ourselves, we can find the seeds of those same things in our own heart. Who among us has no greed? Who among us is free from anger? I want to read a page from the Brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky. He was a Russian existentialist author. And it's a page of this book that had a great impact on me. The monk Zosima, who's one of the heroes of the story, is on his deathbed. And he's recollecting an important moment from his childhood when his older brother was on his deathbed. When Zosima was a young boy, his older brother got sick with consumption. And he had been an ordinary man until on his deathbed he experienced a kind of illumination. And Zosima explains it here. He says, Everyone wondered at his words. He spoke so strangely and positively. We were all touched and wept. Friends came to see us. Dear ones, he would say to them, what have I done that you should love me so? And how can you love anyone like me? And how was it that I did not know, did not appreciate it before? When the servants came in to him, he would say continually, dear kind people, why are you doing so much for me? Do I deserve to be waited on? If it were God's will for me to live, I would wait on you, for all men should wait on one another. Mother shook her head as she listened. My darling, it's your illness that makes you talk like that. Mother, darling, he would say, there must be servants and masters. 
But if so, I will be the servant of my servants, the same as they are to me. And another thing, mother, every one of us has sinned against all men, and I more than any. Mother positively smiled at that, smiled through her tears. Why, how could you have sinned against all men, more than all? Robbers and murderers have done that. But what sin have you committed yet that you hold yourself more guilty than all? He experiences that he's sinned against all men, he worse than all, because he recognizes that we're all bound together, we're all somehow responsible for one another. And this isn't just the far-out idea of an existentialist philosopher. This is one of the foundational ideas of our faith. It's the idea of solidarity that we're all bound together, mysteriously bound together as a human race. It's why the Incarnation matters and why the cross is effective. Because someone could ask, why is it that the death of the Son of God 2,000 years ago wrought my salvation? Well, because He became one of us and we are all bound together. So what He did in His flesh, He did for all of us. So on the one hand, we, every individual is, is so free that we can with truth call some good and some evil. And yet we're so bound together that the sin of one, Adam, became the sin for all of us. And the sacrificial death of one opened the possibility of salvation for all of us. If the death of Christ 2,000 years ago on the other side of the world could bring about my salvation here, then why couldn't the purification of my heart now from anger and prejudice bring grace and salvation to my brothers and sisters in Ukraine and Russia? Who knows how our hearts are bound together? It's beyond our grasp, but it doesn't mean that it's not real. Consider how different organs of the body are mysteriously connected. A few years ago, my uncle was suffering from arthritis in his hands and in his knees. And he had been suffering for several years until his dentist removed several of his teeth and all of a sudden, the arthritis went away. Who knew that there was a connection between your teeth and, and, and your joints? But I guess somehow there is. Or consider how an acupuncturist will apply pressure to one part of your foot to stimulate blood flow in your shoulder and to another part of your foot to affect your, your, your gut. Well, we don't know the invisible channels that connect our hearts with the hearts of our brothers and sisters in Russia and Ukraine. But they exist. You know, who knows? Maybe when you forgive your friend, the grace of forgiveness is released in the heart of a woman in Ukraine. Or you renounce greed and it loosens its grip on a Russian heart. Or you confront your prejudice and across the world, a heart is enlightened. So I don't mean to be simplistic or magical. 
I, I don't suppose that you have a soul twin in Russia necessarily, but I want to awaken your imagination to contemplate something which is real and biblical, which is this mysterious solidarity that exists between all of us, a spiritual bond that exists between all humans. And that's intensified in Christ. You know, we're united to Him by grace, so our actions have a new power and range. They're united to His self-offering on the cross, which has an infinite power and reaches across time and space to every person. So the first thing that we can do is go to the root of war within us and seek reconciliation with those around us. And I believe that that does somehow have a real impact. It can have a real impact on the other side of the world. And the second thing we can do is fast and pray. You know, many times when the Virgin Mary has, has appeared, she's asked us to fast and pray for peace. So when we fast, we feel our solidarity. We feel it in our own flesh. What can seem like a, an unreal and distant conflict, all of a sudden we feel it in, in our flesh. So it's a gesture of solidarity. And it's also a gesture of faith because our Lord has taught us to fast and to pray. Several years ago, I spent a month living with Sudanese refugees in Cairo, Egypt. And they told me that for several years, they would gather every Wednesday to fast and pray for the end of the civil war. And when that war finally ended, they believed that it was in response to their prayers. And I also believe that. So we're about to begin Lent, and on Fridays during Lent, the, the church invites us to abstain in some way. Well, I know that some who are here are planning on fasting on bread and water during the Fridays of Lent. And I want to encourage you to consider it, to fast and pray. So together as a church, let's fast and pray for peace in our hearts, peace in our communities, and peace in the world.